I believe over the next decade, the element of the, the human advisor has now been put front and center, and the ones that really excel in the next 10 years are those people getting back to that Socratic selling and, and, and skill sets that many of us grew up in the industry learning about because the tech was so bad. Hello, world of wealth tech and advisor tech. Welcome to this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, and I run a consulting firm and a research firm called Ezra Group. Our mission is to help the wealth management industry make better technology and business decisions. And I'm excited to bring you this episode of this podcast, where we're going to talk about an area that I see as a major disruptor in the wealth management tech space, which is the shift to transactional services and exchanges. And the one we're talking about today is the InvestNet Credit and Lending Exchange and their insurance exchange, which I wrote on my blog uh, last year and they announced last year. Uh, big things are happening. There's some news. I wanted to talk to you and bring you uh, someone from InvestNet to uh, talk about what they're changing, what new is coming from them. Because I see this as being a, a big change and I, I expect a lot of other companies to follow suit in this area since there's less emphasis on the actual software and more on how we can bring new products and services to advisors. I was excited to have this conversation with John Yackel from InvestNet because I'm so interested in their credit and lending exchange. Uh, I see it as a, a new way of looking at the market, a, a paradigm shift in the way advisors are going to see uh, holistic advice and see how the insurance and wealth fit together since they don't always see that. We've always had a, a, diff a demarcation between agents who sell insurance and advisors who, are, uh, who sell wealth products and wealth services. And those two need to be combined, and they're being combined. We're seeing it being combined. A lot of our clients are doing it, and they're, we're helping them to do it. And these type of technologies like investments providing this kind of marketplace that's integrated into the overall wealth platform are key, I think, to helping that conversion and that real migration of the market. Because if they don't do it, they're going to be left behind. You can't just be in product sales. You need to think holistically about the client. So I, I was really interested in hearing what John had to say, and I think you will be as well. So let's get this episode started. Welcome to this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. And my guest today is John Yackel, Executive Managing Director of InvestNet, who heads up their strategic initiatives. Hey, John. Hey, Craig. How are you doing today? John, I'm fantastic, man. Welcome to the program. So happy to have you here. Excellent. I'm uh, thrilled to be here and anxious to talk uh, about the strategy that you've asked about today. This is great. I appreciate it. No problem. I'm, I'm glad we could find the time to uh, talk about this. And this is, this is something I've, I've been really excited about and really interested in. I wrote about it on my blog and I was excited then. And I'm getting more excited the more I read about it. And this news uh, really jumped out at me uh, about what, you know, what we're talking about is the InvestNet credit exchange and, and also the insurance exchange and the, the, how this is really becoming, it, it was just a twinkle in your eye, you know, uh, you know, two or three years ago. Now it's something that's live. Can we talk a little bit more about this news on the investment, the investment credit exchange? Absolutely. Uh, just to that point, it, literally just two years ago, it was, you know, a great concept and idea. It's not something that other firms have tried before. Previous firms I was at would always looking to try to provide a lending or credit facility to advisors 
And, you know, what I was really excited about this go around is how are we going to introduce uh, this type of offering and solution really in empowering the advisor to provide more comprehensive advice. And, you know, to see how this has come together in the last 12 to 16 months uh, and now out the door to these, uh, to our financial advisors, uh, where it, it helps uh, provide a significant advantage, I think, to the advisor in their planning process, to their practice, and specifically in, in, in bettering the end consumer with better options. Uh, specifically within the financial plan, we'll see as we go through the conversation, you know, Craig, I think that so many people in our space in wealth management have a tendency to take a look really at the investment component uh, within planning and focusing in on both sides of the balance sheet is absolutely critical to help people achieve their goals. Um, spending is always something that's been a, a hot topic in financial planning. But in managing people's credit and their debt has always been the advisor saying, you know, let me let your bank do that or let me, um, you know, bring someone to the table to have a conversation about it. So bringing that front and center and putting into planning is something that we've been uh, very thoughtful about and looking to seek many different partners to bring to the table. So this is something I think that it will be an inflectionary moment in the advisory space, uh, especially around advisors seeking to provide unified advice. I agree, man. I mean, this is something I've been, I've, I saw this years ago where it was, it was a, a picture. It was actually a static picture that an insurance agent showed. It was, it was, it was, a, I can't remember what firm it was, but it was, it was a small firm that did wealth and insurance and he had a great picture. It was a picture of a house. And he said, the, the foundation are your assets, but the roof is your insurance and you need to have it all together or else if you're doing this, someone else is building your roof somewhere else and you're building, laying the foundation, you're not talking to each other. There's no coordination. You don't know, how they relate to each other. And you're really not doing what we, we keep throwing around these buzzwords like holistic advice. If you're not looking at both, how can you be holistic? That's right. I, what I like about that analogy is, you know, that general contractor, when, whenever you're working on a project, you go to that GC and you expect them to be your advocate and understanding your goals, objectives, and needs and building that and protecting that house. So the introduction of both, I would call it you know, kind of a credit and lending facilities helping individuals managing their debt and providing that to the advisor uh, in addition to the protection series. So we've also have an insurance exchange that we've, you know, added into our overall strategy and bringing best of breed solutions into that financial plan allows that general contractor, that trusted advisor to really be uh, proactive with their client in providing that, that unified advice to say, let's look at the entire picture, you know, a lot of planners have been doing this for many years. It's been very difficult to scale uh, through our partnership with many of our uh, banking partners and our insurance carriers. We are going to scale this business very much like we have done on our manager uh, exchange that we've uh, grown very successfully and turned into a very successful practice. But I, li I like your analogy because you've, you've got to build the house, you've got to protect it, you have to fortify it and uh, continue to look at it in that, from that perspective. Another reason why I'm excited by this, besides the fact that I'm just a student of the industry and love new mm -hmm. stuff, but this is something that only could happen now. And let me explain what I mean, that, that invest in that since you become, you've gone from humble beginnings, uh, I, I worked with InvestNet and I was working with the precursors to InvestNet, Net Asset Management, uh, you know, in Santa Monica and you know, before you guys even became InvestNet and where you are now. And the insurance has been such a fragmented industry 
and with with no transparency, everything's opaque. No one can really understand what, what the insurance policies are or compare them. And there was no incentive for the insurance companies to do that because why would they want transparency? Transparency drives down the price and they don't want that. So they had no reason to do this. But since you're the market leader now, you have the, the scale, you can go to them and say, look, we're building this with you or without you. You want to be on board and it's going to, yeah, you're going to be transparent, but it's going to make your product better. It's going to make it better for the investors. Is that, is that the way you guys saw it as well? Yeah, we have. And so I, I, we'll break it up into two categories. So the, the insurance carriers, and I would call it the banks on the lending side, you know, we'll, we'll tackle the insurance where you just kind of started and going down that path. Legacy, you know, I've grown up in the managed account business in the investment area uh, for my entire 28-year career. And if you grew up on the managed account side, people would always look over on the other side of it and say, well, that's an insurance agent and that's a product and specialty. And people have started to incorporate that into their practice, still treated it many times over the years, as you and I have seen, that it was just kind of a product. And it was also a complicated one for a managed account person to understand and vice versa. The insurance agent was having a difficult time understanding managed accounts and how to communicate that to their, their clients. Well, to your point, the reason that the perfect storm has hit us now is you provide scale and infrastructure to a wealth management platform, but the inflection point are two big, big things that the way that I look at it is financial planning and a planning centric firm or organization truly provides agnostic views of taking a look at everything out there. And it forces the advisor down to have that conversation with the end investor. And the way that I look at moving forward from a fiduciary standpoint, that essential advisor, in our opinion, has to be able to take a look at every aspect of one's life. And that includes, you know, your spending, your lending, your credit, your insurance, and how you're protecting. And I think that the next pillar of, I call it essential advice, that we will see is legacy. And legacy is you've uh, built your net worth, you've amassed this, you've built a, an elegant financial plan, working with advisors that are now coordinated across your, your accountant, your attorney, um, your financial advisor in harmony. And now what? You have to look at that and say, what is our family legacy? Uh, regardless of size of estates, most people always looked at this as that it has to be you know, really large estates to get into trust. To democratize that and bring that down into an infrastructure and proper planning, when you have a nice harmony of investments and savings, financial plans, protection, and kind of uh, debt management and lending, you naturally extend to say, how are we going to look at legacy? So these, it, it's a real, to your point about the picture of the house analogy early, earlier, earlier, we really see that wheel kind of coming together in a scalable fashion. Once again, it's not something that has not been tried before, Craig, as you and I have seen over the years, but now to get to a point where you can scale it and provide transparency, as you mentioned before, which I think is spot on. And that provides a lot of uncomfort to people. And what I'm really proud about is about the partners that we found to go to market with on the insurance and the credit side is they recognize that and they see moving forward and they're willing to be market leaders and join this exchange and, and push that envelope, push the industry to the point of full transparency, openness. And I don't think this is about just getting their product up on a platform to transact, uh, Craig. It's going to be already significant innovation going on by these banks and insurance companies that have been partnering with us to come up with new type of products driven from the financial plan and the end investors needs. That, that is, to me is the spirit of this next dec decade of innovation. Just lining up these exchanges is, is not enough. It's 
satisfying the end consumer's rapidly changing needs through this scale and innovation with great partners. These carriers and banks that we've partnered with have really been pushing us in that category. I'm I'm thrilled to be uh, doing business with them. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that because it's, it's been sort of stagnant for the last decade or so. Now we're seeing a sort of a burst of innovation from these companies like fee-only annuities that you can slot into a managed account platform. Yeah, and, and the fees on these are, you know, naturally are going, because of the transparency and the innovation, you're starting to see, you know, better price points for certain investors that had never looked at this. Um, and just naturally, as you go through it and, you know, you and your firm are, are huge on, obviously, and grounded in research uh, out to this community. You, you really start to look at what ultimately investors' you know, needs are and stigmas are. And, and typically, with, with lending, people naturally say, yep, I'll, I'll go to my bank to that. I'm not going to talk to my advisor. Insurance and protection, I'll go talk to my agent to do that. And, and I've got legacy planning. I'll go talk to my attorney about that. But what you and I have seen over all the years, the true trusted advisor that's in the center of that, having that conversation with the end investor, doesn't need to do everything. But the power of what I've called the exchanges, it's more of kind of like a marketplace effect. And that marketplace effect provides that the transparency we've talked about, but it has to be of ease of transaction of the, uh, uh, and a facility to provide that for the advisor and the end consumer. But it has to give them choice and that flexibility. So when you get in there, Advisors, as you and I have seen over our careers, don't like to just come in and say, okay, I've partnered with this bank for this product and or this insurance company for this insurance product, and that's what I'm recommending for you. Well, that, that doesn't really provide, you know, germane to the investment strategy over all the years is really opening that up and providing that open marketplace for people to do business. And advisors have been really clamoring to this because we're letting the plan and the needs of the end investor truly drive what type of selection of solutions and strategies ultimately the product is underneath of all that but when you drive by strategy i think you have better innovation um, and once again we, we cannot do this at investnet without the partners the insurance carriers and the banks that have partnered with us they we went through an exhaustive rfp craig um you know I, on my career i've always been on the other side of these rfps i have a huge <laughs> and ton amount of respect to see what the uh counterparties go through in these type of selection processes. But we went through that because we were very disciplined to find make, make, uh, not only great solutions and products from these type of uh, banks and insurance companies, but we had to find somebody with a like-minded vision about what we were trying to do about transforming the way advice is being delivered and how their solutions fit into that. And that, that I don't know, 10 years ago, we, we weren't going to see that. We, I think people were just naturally looking at how do I get more efficient distribution of my products and people that really believe in changing the way the industry is delivering advice, um, part of uh, Judd's original thesis and vision, we are carrying on pretty strong and we're thrilled that, that uh, these partners are doing that with us. That's a big part of who we selected. I want to take a little break from this episode to talk to you about one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit. You can find them at investinothers.org. And they look to raise money and give out donations or they give out awards to charities that are sponsored by financial advisors. So it's financial advisors, uh, favorite charities, charities that they spend a lot of time supporting. So Invest in Others looks to get sponsorships from the industry and funnel that money to advisors' favorite charities. I really like this this charity uh, and this nonprofit. I think you should take a look at it. Again, investinothers.org. 
They've got a couple other programs. One is a Grants for Good program. Uh, again, delivering money to different needy organizations and needy groups. They're also starting a corporate awards program, which is going to be a little bit different, but still within the industry. Uh, another way for financial services, uh, wealth management corporations to help uh, donate money to people in need. So I really like Invest in Others. I think you should take a look at it. Invest in Others. Let me spell this for you. I-N-V-E-S-T-I-N-O-T-H-E-R-S dot O-R-G. Yeah, it's, it's hard to, to, to uh, we, in my firm, we do a lot of RFPs for, for, uh, for broker dealers and it's hard to uh, figure out if their vision aligns with your vision. That's sort of like measuring what their culture is. That's right. Sometimes that's actually Tough. harder to really truly determine because you can't do that truly through the RFP questioning. It's obviously your interview process and really getting deep at the executive level, getting deep down into the managerial and product level, and then really going and interviewing a lot of the people in their operations uh, area and administrative areas to really see, do they, do they really believe this? Because um, marketing materials, as we all know, you know, say one thing, but when you start to really look at their employee base and, and how they interact within their communities, um, that really tells the story. Yeah, and you know, one one thing you, you just you mentioned before about about the difference between the difference between agents and advisors, and we work with a lot of insurance broker dealers, and they're struggling with that, and they keep flipping using the word agent, and they're not agents anymore because the agent implies they just sell insurance, and they're trying to move their t- people over to be real, true advisors that are more holistic and not just thinking about insurance, and it's a tough, it's 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 part of the mindset and how you change uh, the people over to realizing you're not just selling a product and it's and the product driven uh, proprietary product driven businesses business model is because should be dead soon. Yeah, I would agree. I, uh, I think years ago said that it would be dead by 2020, you know, great bold prediction, right, Craig? But uh, <laughs> it, it, when you start to look at what the, where the asset flows truly are, uh, you know, true independence of looking at how advisors are open architecture, agnostic, planning centric and planning driven, you know, that's clearly where we see, you know, the market going that area and, and, and not advocating proprietary product. That, that has really, you know, it, like I said, I, you and I, I agree with you uh, 100% that it will be dead soon. Um, and I, I'm kind of surprised that, you know, when I look at it, it, it hasn't, you know, kind of come to a stop in certain areas and certain firms but that are advocating just proprietary product. It's uh, a fiduciary role the Reg Yeah, the Reg BI and fiduciary rule for us, I think, is the best thing for the industry, you know, to enforce the standards and commitments that we should have in this space and what we've all signed up for over right. the years. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a welcome transition, I believe. It's going to be a while until a lot of people retire that are still just focused on this or a lot of firms that aren't moving lose enough market share to where they realize they've got to change. So yeah, it's, and, it's and you, you look up. In I'm telling you probably what you already know because of the research you guys do, but you know, the, the advisor population is aging. We have fewer people kind of coming into the space. And when you talk about agent and advisor, just in the insurance space and advisory space, what happens is that the, the older we all get, the harder it is sometimes to, uh, to process that change and take on something new uh, is, is what, most people will take a look at it uh, and go through. So it's incumbent upon us not to go fight that trend and say, no, we're going to make this easy for you to make this transition 
depending on what side of the fence you're on. And it's incumbent upon us to focus in on training, adoption, growth strategies for the advisor, and say, how are you going to incorporate credit and lending discussions with your client? That will make you a better fiduciary and a better advisor. How are you going to have these conversations about protecting your client's uh, future around income? And if you really look at the future of where, where the whole planning goes into it, people always looked at it and said, well, annuity, 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 and it's a bad word if you're on the managed account side. And, and, and that's foolish. It really is because if you do the planning, get through it and have the conversation to say, when you retire, you, know, you don't have the ability to choose what the markets are going to do when you retire. And the sequence of returns has a huge impact on, Craig, you and I when we go to retire because we can have this great, elegant plan and if we rely solely on investments in Social Security, you and I will ha have to hope that we're at the top of a, of a bull market like we are right now because it gives you great confidence and it's a psychological factor going into retirement. So while everybody focuses in on credit and insurance, I, think, I look at this more of just pure retirement planning. And when you get into that, what I look at is you've got to kind of optimize any type of plan and infrastructure and, and getting people to look at the way that their income will be uh, generated while they're in re retirement, I believe is a strong fiduciary standard that has to be discussed at the advisor level. Equal importance around the credit exchanges, you have to take a look at how they are managing their debt. The amount that people carry on credit cards is staggering. Uh, we do a ton of uh, work on aggregation through uh, one of our companies at Yodely, and when we start to look at the data that's going on revolving debt at extremely high percentages, and the banks that we've partnered with, Craig, actually see that as to say, hey, that's great. That is a great money producing and revenue producing opportunity for us because it's been a big business. But that's got a big drag on people's you know, financial futures and their retirement because they're not managing their debt properly. And we feel that's incumbent upon us. So the banks we partner with have kind of come front and center to say, how do we take a look at that, restructure their debt, and look at those lines and reduce that drag on their overall goal achievement into this. So it keeps kind of coming back to that goal and uh, goal and financial plan to me is, is kind of where we're moving in the future that the advisors that don't embrace that, I think are going to be the ones that are going to be looking in the rear view mirror or looking ahead and saying, I missed the car and it's already down the highway. Exactly. We don't want that to happen, but no, we can't. You, we've both been around uh, of the industry for a bit, but uh, can you give me a quick overview of your background? Uh, I know you've been in the industry for a while and you've been investing for a while. Can you just do a quick like 30-second summary of, of how you got to where you are now, John? Sure. Uh, so I started at SCI in uh, the very early 90s and was there for 15 years. Worked in several different divisions in different capacities, mostly in sales, sales management, and strategy in our bank and RIA divisions uh, at SCI. Moved from there uh, with a partner at the time, and the two of us went to a company called Fortigen uh, that was spinning out of Lydian Private Bank and Private Wealth Management. And we started up uh, Fortigen, which was providing ultra high net worth research and aggregation and reporting in the very early days uh, back in 2007 in that capacity. And that business we built up and sold successfully to LPL. And at the same time, I was recruited and moved over to Prudential Wealth Management Solutions, where I uh, ran distribution, relationship management, business development, strategy, uh, and in-field sales support. So getting into that role, 
uh, we really focused heavily with working with larger financial institutions in bringing together kind of a complex infrastructure and platform to large institutions. And along that journey, uh, we had a couple of uh, banks that we were and large financial institutions that we were working and servicing on that we needed to look to some outside partners. And we, uh, we were at a point where we found the opportunity to partner with InvestNet. And we actually completed a transaction and sold and lifted out the Prudential Wealth Management Solutions Division that I was uh, uh, overseeing and running with Kevin Osborne. And we sold that to InvestNet uh, back in 2013. So I've been over here for seven years with InvestNet, uh, and my initial charter was running institutional business development with InvestNet. And about a year and a half ago, moved over to uh, lead strategic initiatives in focusing in on building up these various marketplaces and exchanges. And for me, it is a great culmination of when you take a look at your journey and your career, to take a look at all the different channels that I've had a great opportunity to work in, different products and solutions, but to work at a company like this and be part of uh, our kind of our venture capital, uh, you know, vision, if you will, to go say, where are we going next? How are we getting there? How do we do it in a scalable way and be consistent with our vision around providing financial wellness and unified advice infrastructure to advisors and putting the advisor front and center to, to enable that. So I, I am, I'm, I'm pretty fired up, as you can, you can tell in my voice, that at this point in my career to focus yeah. in to do this with support from a company like this has just been uh, an extraordinary period of time. Because to your point, it couldn't have been done. You know, I remember when InvestNet first started in 1999, and I was over at SCI, and everybody's like, hey, who is this company? And then all of a sudden, 2000, in the first year, put a major mark in the, in the industry with partnering with Fidelity, and we just started to see a lot of asset movement from proprietary strategies uh, and TAMP programs right to this open architecture model. And, you know, in a, in a very short 19 to 20-year period, $3.5 trillion in assets. Um, you know, and you mentioned a word earlier, Craig, which I – you know, you've seen our journey over the years. We, one of the things that I think Bill and Judd have always um, found as one of our culture and our principles is to be humble. And that humility is still with us today in our culture. We, we look at what we're doing here, and Judd, in one of his interviews with Investment News, I think we was spot on, which was, you know, he, he was always asked the question to say, hey, if, if I told you in 2019, that you had amassed $3.5 trillion and 100,000 financial advisors, would you have said you won? And he goes, if you asked me that 10 years ago, I absolutely told you that, you know, the game's over. He goes, the funny thing is, is if you look at it here today, he goes, I feel like we've just gotten onto the highway and we have a responsibility and duty now, uh, you know, to the marketplace more so than before. And we really haven't gotten everything done yet. And we have so much more to do. And, and that's what Bill is kind of carrying forward now at a very rapid pace to, for us to be able to grow in that capacity. And it's, uh, it's an honor to work with, you know, a lot of other of my fellow executives in that capacity. Yeah, the, I think getting things front and center uh, for the advisors, making it easier for them to use these tools is important. And one of the things I, was, I wanted to ask you was about, about the, the credit and lending exchanges. So how are they going to be available? I'm thinking, you know, is, you said it through the sponsor and advisor portals, but how does that, what does that mean exactly? How would advisors access these tools? Sure. Uh, great question. So to make this as simple as possible, because in the past, anything you introduce to an advisor or an advisor desktop or any type of service or solution, 
takes a lot of time for them to adopt. We've all seen it in our careers. So what we've done here is we've actually provided a simple link right on the uh, on a splash page that the advisor logs into every day and uh, permission by their home office. So, you know, you just don't go and put it in there. The home office says, yes, we want to have access to this. That link takes them directly into, once they permission the data, into a curated list of their clients that are now pre-qualified based on the standards provided to us by our banking partners for specific loans. The advisor doesn't have to go in and say, hey, I have to take a look at Craig's account today and see if you know I might have to do a loan. It's actually processing the information through the uh, algorithms that we have in there and the calculations back with our bank partners. It's identifying where we believe there might be lending opportunities and it presents that directly to the advisor uh, to engage. Now, pre-qualification is not approved. The bank is the lender. The bank will service the relationship. Uh, we then have that tight integration to facilitate that uh, pre-qualification and, and bring those two together so the advisor can now have that choice flexibility and option of using the different banks on the exchange for different loan types for the investor. What we will tie eventually, it's not uh, out, out on phase one, but what we'll tie, and you can imagine, I see this because I know you do a ton of work, Craig, in financial planning, is imagine that now when you're doing financial planning and you've done aggregation and you've seen all this debt and you tie that with all the pre-qualification and data and link them to the banks, you're at a point now that the advisor in the planning process at that point in time can, can open that door and say to Mr. or Mrs. Client, you know, we're going to be able to optimize your your entire portfolio and portfolio meaning your entire wealth plan and, and to be able to do that at that point in time. So we've provided it right now, that pre-qualification, I can't tell you how uh, much of that is, is, is powerful in the process. When the advisors go through this, the work that's been done, when they click on it, all of the paperwork on the client is already pre-loaded, pre-populated and automated that goes directly to the bank. And at that point, that handoff happens, the advisor has not been responsible for entering information, doing a lot of work. And so what we've done behind that is we have hired regional lending specialists, which as we talked about before, getting advisors to adopt anything new, uh, we understand is, is always a journey. So even for as easy as you make it in tech, you and I have seen this. It, it's that person, that advisor has to do something different at that point in time. So we have hired lending specialists and people at that point of transaction, a point of discussion to say, I need more information. And we've invested in that of, of lenders that will have that conversation that are agnostic. But if the advisor then wants to then marry it to that bank, then we bring the bank specialist in at that point in time. But advisors want to be able to talk to somebody to say, hey, I've gone through this. I've played around with it. I want to have a little bit of understanding of between the different options that are presented to me. And that's, I think, a very important personalization that has to occur because we, we can't rely on tech to do everything for us. It just helps make it easier and facilitates it, and it removes the friction, I call it, from the advisor's workflow and practice pattern. I probably went a little bit longer than you thought on that answer. I apologize, but it's, uh, like I said, I get a little bit passionate about this. <laughs> Long answers are good. That's why I like this, this uh, the podcast format. We can go into some longer answers than you would get other places. But you, you mentioned earlier the, the marketplace effect and how it requires choice and flexibility, but it also requires, as you said, conversations between the advisor and the client. 
Are there any tools or tech or, or training that you're offering to advisors to help them with these kind of conversations? We are. Uh, training is center to absolutely everything we're doing here. So what will happen is, is there are training modules that have already been developed and deployed so that I kind of call it through the journey of the, of the conversation or the transaction. Advisor has never done this before. We have training modules to help teach them on how to have the conversation with the end client. There is a uh, people that have done this before have done it where, you know, if you take a look back in the past where people have offered lending and credit facilities, it's typically with one bank with a couple of limited products. We've opened that up by providing multiple banks with multiple loan types. By doing that, you need to be able to provide that training and education along the way because the more you add into that marketplace effect, you have to provide that education directly to the advisor in that capacity. Um, so to be able to create materials that the advisor can use in that discussion has already been embedded into the overall presentation quality of the technology and the demonstration that goes through and what gets created. But I think that the, the, the next big inflection point will be when we tie that back to into the financial plan. And as you know, we've acquired Money Guide Pro, and that's where Money Guide Pro and their blocks do a lot of work around you know, managing debt, taking a look at that within your financial plan. And we are linking that to those two together so that when somebody's living in a plan and needs to get there, we want to have education and training modules of the end consumer and the advisor, and then tie them to that exchange to be able to get in to whether it's credit or and lending or even insurance. Nice. See, I really like the money guy pro blocks. That's, I think it's, you know, especially the interface, I think is, uh, you know, taking the, an interface that works in another industry and bringing it to wealth management, you know, it's, it's a, it's a comfortable interface for a lot of people. And, and it's, I think it, it presents something that takes very complicated topics and presents them in, in a, in a much more simpler fashion. Yeah. That, that, the, when you can break it down into things where, where what we've seen, and, and I appreciate your comment on that because I don't think people wake up and say, Hey, I can't wait to go see my advisor to go build a financial plan. You know, we kind of kid about that, but, but if the, if the advisor is meeting with their end client and having some dialogue, like you and I are getting through this where it's very interactive, but I can say, okay, there's two or three things, Craig, that I think that I need you to go through that are going to help you get yourself educated as an end consumer. But that education journey is actually gathering information intel to a building block of a broader financial plan, helps the advisor in their discovery and their assessment process, and then ultimately provide thoughtful recommendations of what's out there. And that to me is it's like the power of structured data is, is really, really important putting into this engine, but that client interview to the end, uh, end investor, I believe over the next decade, because of all this introduction and advent of technology and integration, I think that the, the, the element of the, the human advisor has now been put front and center and the ones that really excel in the next 10 years are those people getting back to that Socratic selling and, and, and skill sets that many of us grew up in the industry learning about because the tech was so bad. But now that the tech is getting so good, the hard part is, is putting it all together in an elegant, streamlined way. And you know, that's, that, that's our purpose and mission as a company. But when I, look at, when I look at things like this, I think it's just that the human advisor is just gonna be so much more important. And we already see it happening over the last couple of years, but things like blocks help the advisor enable them to be better counselors, if you will, to the end consumer. I think you just named this podcast, putting the human advisor front and center. I like that. I like it too. I wrote it down. Uh, so running out of time, I wanted to hit a couple of the other questions uh, before we go. 
So uh, privacy, the, with the pre-approved loan offers, do clients have to um, approve the use of their data to generate these uh, pre-approved loan offers? Yes. So in working with their advisor, uh, unilaterally and, and typically the advisor, the way that they handle that in their privacy information and data have a consent capability, which is very simple to say, we're going to present this. We're not providing it to the bank until you authorize to do that. So that pre-qualification process kind of dovetails to their privacy of, of just basic reporting and analysis that an advisor would do to say, I've analyzed your data and I've come, come to you with a potential recommendation and I want to then initiate bringing in a partner. So that's how the, uh, the privacy uh, laws are, are handled. And uh, obviously during the RFP process with the banks, they are very stringent as you can imagine to make sure that there is a wall between uh, a lot of the private information that we have, uh, not only in InvestNet, but what they have on their side as well. So it's very important that you have separate books and records, you protect the data, uh, that you have all the consent possible to get through it. But what we've been able to do is being able to optimize that, that pre-qualification process by leveraging data that the client has already permission without doing anything with it is, is the way that we've been able to handle that. Gotcha. That makes sense. And is there um, some, some message for the advisor, some compliance tool that's going to monitor these? Because how do we know that, that advisors aren't going to be pushing these loans on clients and that, that, that they may not be able to handle. They may be qualified for a loan, but it may not be in their, you know, the best interest of the client. So how do we control that? Or how do we let compliance see that over at the enterprise level? Correct. So, you know, suitability is absolutely front and center for our entire industry. And to your point about best interest in getting through this. So uh, a couple of things kind of come into mind. First and foremost, the, the banks will not take on you know, a loan based on an automation of pre-qualification. They still require additional procedures to go through to actually, uh, and let's say that I'm the advisor for you, Craig, and I come through and I, you've, you've been identified. And the easiest way to be able to look at one, one tranche of loans is you have a million-dollar portfolio. Based on this, I've identified you for a, uh, an SBL, securitized back line of credit, and let's say that it's $400,000 by this bank at this particular rate. I then take that and I can look at it and then say, how do I want to optimize that? Because I recognize that you've got a lot of debt in other areas. So that, that process, I look at it from a suitability standpoint, falls back on the advisor uh, and the home offices and getting through to say, are they, quote unquote, to your words, I think you, you put out there, pushing a product or a loan versus providing that back to advice and putting that back into the overall financial plan. So the facilitation of getting loans out there, as I said before, isn't new. The suitability being front and center of those advisors, what we are looking at is making sure that that's kind of put back into the, the planning tool or the invest net infrastructure of a wealth management platform that says, you know, is this suitable or not? But we can't take that on, obviously, because we're not the fiduciary working with the end advisor. Uh, but in our training and rollout and education is to the firms, any of the firms, firms that are home offices put in policies and procedures clearly documenting why they believe what they're uh, presenting here is suitable for a particular end investor and documentation notes and tracking that back to the, you know, what the advisor has done. Kind of no different than what we've seen when they're starting to recommend different products on the investment side to make sure that there's proper documentation on why they made that recommendation. So um, I think that's an area that we're going to look to disrupt further in the future by providing I think more 
uh, transparency and ease of use for the advisor to identify what is suitable versus what's not. Because whenever you're going into a new space like this, um, as we discussed earlier, you know, ad adoption and growth is obviously very important, but it has to be founded in what is appropriate for an ind individual. So many of the advisors that are really comfortable in this in early days that have done this and from a suitability standpoint and tracking with their home offices is they've gone after clients that are already obviously lending in a lot of different sp spaces, but their, their cost of, uh, of debt is extraordinarily high. And they go after that, and their, their defense in that point is to say, you know, I've reviewed Craig's plan, and he's paying 21%, and he's got 40000 out here. I restructured this into, into an unsecured line. He's paying 8%. I've been able to take that 1,200 basis points of interest, and I've imputed that or calculated that value, and I've seen this impact to, you know, his financial plan, and this is where the benefit is. So that, that kind of tech is already available for the calculation for the monetary side of it. But I think it's incumbent upon the advisor uh, from a fiduciary standpoint to talk about the other elements other than just the financial reasons of it. Indeed. Yeah. You, you, want to, you don't want to be just focused on one point. It's, you, you, having the holistic view of the client is really where we're driving all this, too. And it's, it's, if that isn't where we're going to, to make it more holistic and make it easier for the advisors to deliver, to deliver the advice and so they can scale and easier for the clients to consume the advice so they can have a better financial lives. It's... Yeah, and I think that, you know, the advisors have felt more uh, interesting when they take a look at different, you know, marketplaces that we bring to, the, to, uh, to our clients. The advisors that, uh, we talked about it before, like the advisor versus the agent. Advisors that have never done insurance need a lot more education about, you know, and they immediately go right to products. They're like, well, tell me more about the products available. And we say, no, we're going to go through and talk about the strategies of what is guaranteed income an appropriate solution for your client. And more and more advisors are believing that I can't guarantee all of their retirement income, but I can look at their investments, their social security, and I possibly can look at what guaranteed income options are available through potentially leveraging annuities in my fee-based plan. And that, that becomes something like, I will call it, you know, front and center. And once again, in the conversation, less product, but the training aspect of it, you had mentioned earlier in your question, I, I I tell you, once again, you can make it as easy as you want in tech, technology, have great partners and great put products out there. But the training element of the advisors where we're spending a lot of time and energy, uh, you know, at our firm. And the great thing is, is I've got the best partners to go to market with, with our eight insurance carriers and four banks. They're putting resources uh, with us, uh, you know, you know, and in, 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 in helping us in that capacity in helping transform this business business model. And that is really where we're going with this. It's just keeping, keeping transformation front and center, keep changing, keep adding more value. And that's, that's what's making, uh, keeping Investnet at the front and, and, and a leader in the industry. And, and John, thanks so much for your time and, and, and helping me understand what's going on and helping listeners understand all these new changes with the credit and insurance exchange. Absolutely, Craig. I really appreciate the time you've afforded uh, for the conversation. And, you know, where I'll end is where you just kind of hit there with, you know, front and center with the advisor and the end client. And, and, and germane to all of this is, is the advisor providing more value to their end client? They're always trying to defend their fee and get through things and really strong, essential advisors providing that holistic advice. Uh, we're just trying to enable that through these type of marketplaces and exchanges and make it really efficient. 
and you know I think your 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 firm and your your value prop of what you're doing in, in being a research based uh, you know organization and consulting uh, institution I think you've seen this you know in the journey and we, we we expect you as well as you know the advisors to continue to push us to do what what's best uh, for the advisors the end clients and for the industry we're gonna keep pushing you John I love it Craig don't, don't, that's the only way we all get better right <laughs> that's right that's right John thanks so much I appreciate your time Hey, it's Craig again. I just wanted to do a quick overview, a uh, rundown of the podcast we just heard. Uh, it was really interesting. I took a lot of notes while John was talking. So the things I took away from this uh, is that there, the, this exchange is, I think, going to be a big, big news in the industry. More planning-centric, delivering uh, more holistic and fiduciary advice for advisors uh, or other tools for advisors. Uh, the whole agents versus advisors discussion, this is really going to help uh, insurance broker-dealers uh, be able to transition agents into advisors uh, so they're, they're providing holistic advice uh, all the way through. Uh, the marketplace effect that's going to help drive this, uh, the, the acceptance of this new way of doing things, and it requires the choice and flexibility of an exchange like this, assuming it works the way they say it's going to work. Uh, how are you going to have these conversations? Tools and technologies to enable advisors to have these kind of conversations because not every advisor is empathetic. Not every advisor knows how to talk to clients the way the best advisors know how to. And I see technology prompting them, giving them tools and giving them little tips. Hey, this kind of client wants to hear it this way. This kind of client likes when you use this type of language. And uh, this, you know, use this tool to work with this client or this, this application or widget. So I see technology as, as a driver of that to, to democratize empathy across, uh, across the advisor base. And finally, putting the human advisor front and center. Uh, if if uh, these uh, different software tools uh, and software applications and platforms from InvestNet and other, other companies uh, can do that, that's going to help advisors stay in business and not have their, their assets uh, taken by robos or other, other non-wealth um, non management uh, platforms or, or fintechs. So that's, those are what I see as the takeaways from this episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast, please hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star review on iTunes. You can also post a comment on the blog at EzraGroupLLC.com. And you can find uh, me and my company at EzraGroupLLC.com uh, or on Twitter at Craig Iskowitz uh, or on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.